What's going on, everyone? My name is Chris Tonvold, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try to find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. This episode, we feature musician and overall Renaissance man, Daniel Warren Hill. Daniel plays in the Washington, D.C.-based band Yellow Tie Guy and is part of the Capital Groove Collective, which strives to create a supportive, cooperative community of artists aiming for growth and success for all their members. We talk about using technology as a tool, his approach to music as a financially sustainable business while constantly helping others all around you, the importance of connection and finding unicorns. Sounds weird, but it's great. Trust me. Daniel is in the process of writing a book called Dev, all about his journey within the music industry and his successful experiences, all in hopes to guide others within the music industry. Yellow Tie Guy has an upcoming live stream listening party of their latest single, Misery, on Facebook on Thursday, January 21st, along with an exploration of all the writing process and the recording process. Make sure to check it out. I'll have all links in the show notes. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and subscribe on Google or however you get your podcasts. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. Yeah, I like it. It's a, that's a neat little, little spot that you're able to get all centered. Everything looks perfect. It looks like a, a green screen backdrop that I, that I picked out that's very poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the curtains almost look fake. Yeah, I kind of wish that this little window treatment behind me was a different color just for some like offset things. I wish it wasn't like the exact same color of the paint on the wall. <laughs> right, 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 right. I've been thinking about trying to get, uh, they just have like either drop down green screens or like a uh, green screen panels that I guess you can put up. So I've been thinking about trying to do that. I mean, all I'm going to use the the webcam and all that stuff for is for podcast interviews. Right. Like I'm not going to stream or or anything because I'm terrible at all video games. So all of that is not going to work out. But if I'm doing an, a, a, an interview and then all of a sudden a whole bunch of other nonsense happens behind me, that might be fun. I don't know. Maybe Godzilla comes out from behind you and just like spooks the shit out of you. They've said, well, you've got like a more natural ambience. Like people feel more closer to you when they can see your actual backdrop rather than some sort of makeshift one. And I mean, you've got exercise equipment. It looks like some DVDs and records or books and the cat. So there's some activity back there, you know, like it shows some personality. Yeah. I got the cat that, that has ruined my life by uh, just climbing up me, climbing, climbing on me at six o'clock every morning and just yelling until I feed her. Well, Hey, that's a good alarm clock. You couldn't get an app for that. <laughs> no, no. She is the most effective. That is for sure. Because she sits on me too. So I feel that pressure. So I don't hear from the right side. So if I'm laying on my left side, I, I can't hear her yell, which is a tactic that I use now. But then she climbs on my side and then just starts poking at me and yelling. <laughs> and then I eventually hear it through the pillows. That's a determined cat. Yeah. And also I filled her bowl up like the three almost three times the amount that I normally do last night just to see if I could like sleep in slightly today. No, it was first thing in the morning. She was like, I want more because I already ate everything. Fresh food. I need fresh food, young <laughs> That's man. Right. <laughs> That's right. It's been a little little much, but I, I, I like that. Yeah, that, that makes sense because uh, you're not able to really connect with people up front very well, like in, in real person. So that 
that seeing the, like the backgrounds of it and seeing just a little bit sparks of personality come through is kind of nice. In my case, my position is to keep you from seeing just the swarm of things that are happening in front of me, technically the chaos of family and children. <laughs> Did you see that picture of the, the woman that like worked for the newspaper or something? And, or she was, she was, she's like covering something very serious, like confrontation overseas or something. And, and she's on Fox news as a, like a guest commentator. And then she shared an image of what she has to do to make it look like she's professional <laughs> on camera. And she's like sitting there in her exercise shorts, surrounded by toys. Her laptop is up on a chair on top of a stack of books. <laughs> it's the world we live in now. That's insane. One of the one of the news companies had someone in as a guest, and then he was doing like a full political breakdown. And then the son just comes into the room. And the son is like five, maybe four, and is just trying to play. And then you see the mom come through and be like, nope, get out of here. And then there's there's nothing else that he can do. He just keeps going. He was like, sorry. And then keeps going and keeps going because it, it's it is definitely a, a different world. That's for sure. It's exciting. I think it's fine that we're finally living this kind of level of transparency. It, it's a lot more comfortable than everybody pretending that kids aren't going to interfere or that life just happens and we all have to deal with it when it happens. That's a, a good way to put it. Life just happens and you got to figure it out. Yeah. When it's in front of you. Yeah. I, I think that's interesting though, because I guess when you're, you're face to face, you can pick up on like different body language cues and stuff like that. But the genuineness that you're talking about, as far as like that connection piece where everybody isn't in a huge produced room, that is in this like self-contained environment. These are their real lives. So you get a little bit more of a genuine connection. And, and that's interesting because then you remember they're not just a talking head. They have actual family and like real shit that you deal with too. That's right. I, I like that. I, I never even thought about that. I don't know why because it makes more sense because you can't really have like that instant gratification of that face-to-face connection. I get it with the sales job that I do a little bit because I can connect right away with another person, which is cool. But when you're doing a screen, that warmth is gone. So you connect in a different way, which is just like, oh, yeah, I'm an actual real person. That's right. We're all real here. This is all happening to us right now. And we all have to we all have to be humbled a little bit, which which I think is good for everybody. It's a, it's a healthy thing for, for everybody to realize that when they're on the call, you know, f- trying to sound professional for their work and, and all of a sudden, you know, the dog starts barking. Well, guess what? That, that happens on both sides. Yeah, I had a, a work meeting this morning and that definitely happened. I, I definitely heard that throughout everything and talking about like technology and talking about connection and, and talking about trying to, to get messages out. You've been putting out uh, new music through Yellow Tie Guy, been uh, helping promote and being a part of the music community with Alchemical Records, and then also the Capital Groove Collective, which is doing a whole bunch of different stuff, trying to keep everybody connected through technology, which is fantastic. It's crazy when some artists embrace technology and some don't, because then they're just like, well, I don't know how to like have a living if I'm not playing an actual show. And then other people are trying to figure out different ways to make a living 
with the resources that are available. Yeah. And I think that that works out differently for everybody. Uh, in the Capital Groove Collective's case, we had various members in various degrees of projects underway, kind of a different timeline for releases, different comfort levels with technology. For some of us, you know, like live performance, either from a traditional venue scene or for like weddings and private events, heavily affected income. So trying to figure out, well, where do you pull income from? And for some of the people in Capital Groove Collective, it was live performances through streaming became one of those revenue streams. In my case, I, I simply just decided to put the, the focus on the things that I can do remotely. I have not done a, a live show since quarantine set in back in May, I guess. Mm-hmm. That was just a, a choice. I feel like I'm, I'm missing some of that connection with fans through a, a remote performance. And so I'd really rather just use the time to focus on this kind of new music release and, and working with the band on producing our next content or, or single or, or release for us that's more effective. And so what, what I love is that everybody has options and choices. And then especially in the case of Capital Groove Collective, was those of us that have the experience of working with technology are able to take that information and share it with people who are thinking that, say, like live streaming would be a better option for them or thinking that maybe now would be a great time for them to start to build up their YouTube channel and just record something more conversational. One of our artists does things that are very interview-based and one of our artists does things that are uh, like very songwriting-based. So it's, it's great that everybody's finding their own unique niches and they're doing it in a way that makes sense for them and that makes it more fun, it makes it more pleasant and therefore you know, more profitable in every sense of the word. Yeah, and I I think that's fantastic because if you're not able to shift gears and try to look for the next thing, then you could be legitimately dead in the water. Right. One of the things that I like about you is that you you approach music as a way to help your family and like support your family. So we've talked in the past where your whole source of income is music. And you've been able to look at different revenue streams like what you're talking about, different ways to approach to generate money with something that you like doing and with, with something that you're still like pursuing doing and helping in different forms. So I think that's interesting that for, for someone that, that has that mentality, trying to help out other artists has always been a, a thing for you. And then embracing technology like what you have as well to try to get all these different aspects or at least knowing who to talk to about it, right? And like knowing what the resources there, there are lots of resources. And I think that I was born at really like the right time to understand the internet is a tool and not the end all of my being. Right. I kind of shake my head when I think about people today who don't know the answer to something and, and aren't willing to Google it. <laughs> like, that's just so <laughs> weird. It's the principle of the thing. I should know this. It's the principle. I'm totally ignorant of this topic, but I'm going to keep talking about it anyway without looking up any facts whatsoever. <laughs> no, I mean, if you have a question for anything, then there, there is an answer for it out there, whether it's written in a document or somebody that you need to connect with on LinkedIn. And so it, it's just a matter of pushing through the, the barrier where you acknowledge that you you need this knowledge or, or you, know, you have just have a desire to learn and then to pursue it wherever it takes you. Right. I, I, I love that. The willingness to keep 
pursuing stuff and keep asking questions, you have to remember that you're selfish because you're doing it for your own future for the most part, right? Right. So it's a lot of it can be for the pursuit of fun, but it is that that part of it where it it's I need to learn this specific skill because my old skills are no longer applicable to the changing world. That can be really hard for an artist to admit. I mean, I think it's easier for people with a business mentality to admit than it yeah. is for for those of us who maybe focus more on our on our artistic brain to admit, you know, that things are changing or simply to acknowledge like I, I'm very heavily influenced by 90s alternative rock. I think it's always been really a piece of my music that people have picked out. But I, I have to admit, it's not the music of today. It's not what everybody's listening to. But time has a funny way of cycling around again. And so the things that were once popular will be popular again. And so I acknowledge from the artistic side that I'm doing something that's not necessarily going to bring me millions of listeners on Spotify without significant work. Right. But at the same time, like it's it's the expression of my artistic, you know, self and and it just it it is good as is and the people that need to connect to it will. On the same note, I was telling somebody yesterday that I had this kind of revelation about producing music for people inside of a specific situation. Right. And so I, I, ha- I was making dinner and I, and I put on something on YouTube. Uh, the, there's like a lo-fi uh, like station for music that I put on. And it just ended up becoming a really great way of changing the vibe in my house during a time when I'm focused on preparing dinner. And so then it got me thinking, well, maybe I could try to think about how to produce songs that are being written for very specific purposes. Like I imagine, I imagine Chris is sitting in his car right now. And so I'm going to write a, you know, something for Chris or like, I'm imagining you being woken up by your cat and, and wouldn't this be a better song to wake up to Chris? <laughs> Probably. Yes. So those are, that's kind of like just a rabbit trail that I've, I've gone on in the last couple of days. And so it might change some of the music that I put out in the future. But I think that, Yellow Tie Guy is always going to have that that alternative rock, you know, aspect to it. Well, I was listening to uh, Incubus's "Make Yourself," uh, so released in '99. I was listening to that the other day, and it definitely like fully brought me back to like high school. And I was like, "What the fuck is this feeling? This is weird." But I, to your point, music is cyclical, so I'm really hoping that turntables and and '90s. Alternative is really going to come back with a passion, uh, with actual good vocals instead of just uh, Fred Durst trying to to do whatever he was doing. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, well, number one, my my favorite line from any movie that's it's a threat, and I can't remember from where it is, but it was uh, it's like if you do that again, or if you say that again, I'm going to do to you what Fred Durst did to music in the '90s. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's like one of my favorite lines. But uh, where were we? <laughs> Well, we were talking about uh, just how with Yellow Tie Guy, um, your 90s alternative, just that that sound is always going to be a part of you. Right. Um, even though you're writing for like specific situations or specific feelings, which I really like. I, I think that's a really good idea because you talk to some people about how what art is and art is whatever you feel. So if you can capture how you felt in that moment, drive just driving, or 
in traffic waiting to go to work, which is all terrible because you're just standing in, in spot for three hours. So if you write to those said situations, something different will come out of it because it's a different feeling. And I, I like that. So I, I think that's a, a good way to to approach. And and for you, your music, that was just a revelation recently for you then, right? Yeah. Just the trying to get those feelings back in those specific situations for those. I think most of the music that I've written up till now is really a form of journalism. I'm trying to tell a story in a way that's like, sometimes I'm, I'm the subject and I'm experiencing what I'm sharing, but, but mm-hmm. oftentimes I might share a, a story about a friend of mine who goes through a difficult situation and try to write a song that is at once maybe a, a recognition of the difficulties that they're going through and, and maybe something to try to encourage them. I have some people that question the content of the lyrics and their relationship to the Black Lives Matter movement because we had put out a video that that kind of expressed our our support of the Black Lives Matter movement. And the idea was, well, it was written during a time when we're talking about similar instances, right? Of, of like, say, examples of police brutality or examples of immigrants being held at the border and separated from their families and, mm-hmm. and or, or in writing, like it, it's, it's like, I want to be able to mention all of these things in context. And so the framework for information was around the social media aspect of these, these events as they were occurring, you know, in gosh, at this point, you know, it's been five, six years or something since the song was really written. Then when we had already had it recorded and the Black Lives Matter movement launched in in a really powerful way in multiple countries, you know, this just really felt like the right thing to do in order to be able to, to say that these things that we talked about, the things that I was worried about or the things that I was trying to express about lifestyle and social media and, and our need to actually live every day as the person considers these kinds of important things and their effects on other people and empathy, right? you know, that those things are still relevant now. And I was worried about them five years ago when I first started writing the song. I, I like that. I like that. That's, it's funny kind of how like those, the, well, it's not really funny because that just means that all the problems that we've had has been going on for a little bit, right? So how the, the concept of, of that song five, six years ago still is very relevant today. Like you would think during that time stuff would be addressed and not get worse. Yeah. And you know that I think that music has a really powerful position to be able to, to be a part of the recovery. You know, like we, at the time that you are say Bob Dylan writing a song, you're really just like writing a song. But then 20 years later, when you look at all these songs that have to do with, you know, that, that like kind of encompass things that were going on during the hippie movement and civil rights era and things like that, like now after the fact, you look back and you go, oh, well, this was, you know, the songwriter for our time. Yeah, I like that. We're still telling the story. We're still making the, the history. Like we still have to have time to wait 10 or 20 years and be able to look back and see the impact that like music has. Like Pussy Riot popped into my head because of their you know, their performance and imprisonment and things like that. There was like a a big story surrounding that. You might say that that is like a blip, but you have to look at a lot of artists going through those same kinds of experiences during the same time in order to place them in context. 
Yeah, and then you look at art as a commentary and you you look at just the contemporary stuff, you may not be able to see the impact right away. So you'd have to really like what you're saying, you know, take a step back, see where those those voices are and the overall ripples that that came from that. You can't really see that when you're on the ground level of it. You have to really take a a bird's eye view and, and extrapolate it over time, all that good stuff. We have to be more patient in general. I mean, impatience is a byproduct of having a supercomputer in your pocket and a, <laughs> and a microwave that can cook anything you put inside of it, you know, in under 120 seconds. Right. I, I want my gratification and I want it now. Uh, that's, that's funny. So you've been playing music with Yellow Tie Guy for as long as I remember. Again, one of the things that we touched on a little bit earlier, you've you fully made this your career. Like this is this is your way that you support your family, which I think is wonderful. Did you think about how to always be profitable early on? Or was that something that you've learned kind of over time? I made a, a commitment early on because of a couple of reasons. One is because I think that the starving artist business model is a, is a very disappointing one to kind of live in. I would say so. I mean, I've had friends who are like, "Oh, I I can't make any money at this," and and that's a mentality. That's not, you know, that's not reality. I've given talks in the past and been somewhat criticized for talking about music as a job. It's not just a career; it's a job. If you are making money and able to make music in any capacity for a living, you're winning. Right. If you are able to, over time, make more money than you did in years past, then you continue to win. Incremental growth, again, just like a patience thing. I never, I never said, oh, I want to I make a million dollars and I'm going to tour the world and sell billions of records and become super uber famous. Like <laughs> That is not my claim to fame. My claim to fame is the mortgage gets paid. Yeah. I can support multiple children. Yes. <laughs> like <it's... laughs> yes, there's food on the table, medical bills are paid and the kids are doing well in school and you know the flexibility that being a musician has afforded me to to be home oriented has been uncomparable. And I'm sure that's kind of made the the transition to this new world a little bit better for you too cuz you're not going from straight workforce, you know, not at the house all the time, not with the the kids all the time, not having that kind of like that better force in their life, if that's a, a good way to put it. When working parents are working, that disconnect can be there. So I, I'm sure that that kind of also helped streamline what is happening in your world now. The the key is not necessarily that I have always been the the sole contributor to my family's financial well-being but it's like my wife has interests of her own and to not have a job for her would drive her nuts mm -hmm. so then it becomes well she's got a job that's maybe more rigid and i can be the flexible person and why wouldn't i want to be when that flexibility provides me with the opportunity to produce music yeah it's not always easy because the, when the kids are napping you can't just crank up the amplifier you know I suppose not. But, but you learn how to try to work inside of the flow of the family and having meal times, nap times, dinner time, going to school. Well, how does the, the whole the whole world changes when the kids are home for summer or home for COVID? 
<laughs> right. <laughs> but but that adaptability, that flexibility is is really what it's been about. I really initially started with the objective of trying to make the equivalent of twelve to fifteen dollars an hour. That was like my like stage one was if I can work a forty hour work week in music making the same amount of money that I would if I was a barista at Starbucks, then I'm winning. Because what difference does it make if I'm making that money from music or from Starbucks? Like yeah. it doesn't like either way. Same. It's the same money. Same same amount of money. And so then as the years progress, trying to up that dollar per hour value to a place that that is career growth as if I had a real job and had worked at it for 20 years <laughs> and now I'm being rewarded for all of my efforts and I've been with the company a long time. And so that was my business model and it's been working and again, just provided an opportunity uh, and flexibility that, that I can't imagine I would have had any other way. And one of the few things that I think is amazing to me especially from the area that we're in for the most part you know we've we've both been in southern maryland a bunch you're very much part of the the dc scene from what i remember you've never really played covers you've never really done the cover band circuit you've been able to generate a sustainable financial thing with original music and all these different avenues that you want to be able to pursue within original music which I think is always a really important thing to put out there because you're not, if you're approaching it in a certain way and you're able to utilize the tools and resources that are at your fingertips, you can make original music happen. Absolutely. That starving artist that you're talking about doesn't have to be the end all be all. You know, there's other people that are able to figure this out. And especially with all the technology that's out there now, you can be an artist on TikTok, you can be a Snapchat. You know, fifteen second jingle, whatever. I I don't care, but you can you can get viral, you can make money, you can do whatever, and then you can continue like different ways to pursue everything underneath that one umbrella. Yeah, and and when I first started, I wasn't opposed to covers at first, but I I think I put myself in some situations where I was performing at venues that people expected me not only to play covers but kind of specific covers, either songs or genres. And I was very young and uh, it really turned me off because then I'm like, well, I'm kind of like just starting out and I have a bunch of people kind of telling me what to play. And, and so then I kind of shut down that portion of my brain. I was like, well, I'm not going to do any covers. And so for the first, you know, the first couple of years inside of Yellow Tie Guy, we were very focused on original music and there was just no, like no straying from that concept. When we got to where we were releasing the second the second record play on words the opportunities came for me to be able to perform at venues but they had longer times for me to perform so i i could play 2 hours of original yellow tie guy songs but i still had 2 hours of material to fill right then it became a spot where i'm only going to perform at the places that just appreciate the things that i'm already into out of a four-hour gig on a Sunday afternoon, I could play an original song and, a, and then a cover song, an original song and a cover song. And I never even had a set list. I never had anybody tell me what to play. Okay. I had people make requests. And if I could or if I was willing to try, I'd go for it. But I never felt obligated with, with very rare exceptions on a four or five-year period where I was just like, this is really awkward. you know. But but for the most part, just communicating with venues 
I had a lot of opportunities because I wasn't a country Americana artist. Like, so people were just appreciative that I did something that was kind of outside of their immediate accessibility. Like they knew everybody in the area that played country or Americana and they had their number, you know? Right. But, but trying to create variety for their audience and just the fact that I did something that was unique to them afforded me the opportunity to go and, and have that have that gig. That's great. And I, I would imagine also the autonomy as an artist is very important, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's I think every artist has to prepare themselves for compromise, but not necessarily always in the way that they imagine that they'll have to. There's no one right or wrong answer to all of this. I think that we grew up in a in a generation where you got signed and that was how you made it. And getting signed was the equivalent of winning the lottery. Right. And so to me, like my process has been just the antithesis of that. I, I'm not waiting to be discovered. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to put my foot down and tell people this is what I'm about, but not necessarily in like a way of like, well, I'm not you right. know, like I'm an artist. No, but just, just in a way of like, hey, I appreciate that you know, most people that come to your venue are looking for this kind of music. And I know two or three musicians that would be a great fit for you. So instead of looking at that as like, oh, well, I'm not going to do that. It's like, how can I turn this into an opportunity to right. help this venue owner find what they're looking for? And how can I use that as a connection to take an artist who doesn't have to fight his morals to perform at this venue? He's ready to go. Or she, she already plays all these songs that, that this venue is going to love anyway. And so really just making, making the best out of those situations and never, never turning it into like something where I was being offended or... Right. Or somehow not being treated well as an artist, just trying to help help everybody win, help everybody be happy. I think what's what's cool too is that like that ability to actually say no, like this particular spot isn't for me. And just being able to like not be afraid to do that because you you hear those stories so much where, oh, if I don't play this gig, I can't live for the next week. Like I, I can't, I can't, I don't have any kind of a way to, to do this. So they put themselves in, in certain situations that where it's, it's a lot riding on, on certain things. So they can't really like have, the, they don't have that safety net. They don't have that uh, option in there. But if the, the flip side to that is if you look at it as a long-term thing, like what you were doing, like the 12 to 12 to $15 hour goal, now it we're in career progression goal. That ability to say no, if you're doing it often and early, you're still able to build your audience over time because this audience at these specific venues that are there that fit you are going to be more accessible and more susceptible to your music and your message, which I, I really like. I like that idea of, of looking at the overall environment and being like, this may not be for me, but I also have someone in my back pocket. And if they succeed, then I succeed because that's my better name right. to, to the venue and then also to the artist. And, and if you think about this in, a, in like, I think one of, one of the things that attracts people to work with me now is the fact that I've been doing this for so long. And so I've made it very clear, like, this is what I do. Right. And yes, I'm scatterbrained because I'm interested in 12 different aspects of the industry at the same time. But music is what I do. And so in one way or another, I think people will realize that 20 years from now, you're going to see me doing something in music and entertainment. Right. And, and so in those moments where I, ha I would say no, and I would make that connection, 
artists over time will see that you're the kind of person who forwards opportunities. And so other artists now are refusing gigs instead of playing the gigs that they don't want to play. They'll go, man, I don't really want to do that. Maybe Daniel would be a good fit for this. And venue owners as well, they speak to each other you know, behind closed doors and talk about the artists mm-hmm. that they have in as well. And so when one venue owner talks to another venue owner and the venue owner is like, I need somebody for Friday night. Can you think of anybody? And he's like, well, I know this one guy, but he does like alternative rock rather than country and Americana. And the venue owner is like, yeah, I could, I could try that out one time and see how it goes. Eventually, just people are satisfied with you for, for doing the right things. And, and it comes back to you. I'm, I'm very kind of karma based or, or at least like pay it forward or, right. or thinking about today's investment and what the return is going to be six to nine months from now. Um, right. Not always taking opportunities based on what it provides me today or this week. Right. And it, it's interesting too, because if you are just doing that pay it forward mentality and then like that positive mentality, all of that stuff comes back. Like if you're even looking at it as a very analytical dollars and cents, what's my return on an investment? Your return on investment can be a show in the future or it can be a better project in the future. It can be a community that actually will go out and support music. Like that's that's your return on an investment. That's that's the engagement right there that you're hoping to get in your specific area. Like that that's the the bread and butter to where you actually have like a, a scene that's there. Well while you're while you're there, I mean like relationships are this business. Right. The talented artist is not necessarily the one, you know, getting the cheese. <laughs> the personable, relatable human, you know, again we talked about that at the beginning where it's just like I like this person. I like to be around them. I like the feeling that I get by being at one of their shows and seeing them play live and the way they engage the audience or, or the fact that they stay at the merch table, you know, after the show to be able to hang out with people or right. they'll, they find out that a fan couldn't make like showed up at the show as you're getting off stage. And then they go out in the parking lot and still sing for an hour, you know, like, like, Oh, that, yeah, that'd be like great. Those kinds of things, the relationships, they make, they make the world go round. Yeah. The so one of the the other things that you were talking about was um uh, just the return on investment and uh you know just that connection with with other humans for sure and then your willingness to always help and wanting to get that karma and that positivity out there was that the idea behind the record company the or the record label Alchemical honestly it was it was really a fluke okay I put out Alchemical Records as a makeshift label. On, with like the complete recognition as I'm releasing my first record on my own that I'm not going to get signed to a major label. <laughs> um, so I'm, right. I make up an entity and that entity was Alchemical Records. We had really great artwork and packaging and a good branding with you know our, our release. And I think it attracted a number of artists to just kind of see what it was about. And I was like, okay. oh, uh, well, I just made it up. <laughs> I don't I don't know a whole bunch but if you want to try this like here's an agreement you know does this seem reasonable to you I think I've always had the willingness to help but I never would have I never and certainly in hindsight I wouldn't have gone and made like a record label you know no kind of knowing that I what I was going to go through as the, through those experiences but if I hadn't done that I would never have ended up where I am now with a like alchemical records being transformed into this music news and entertainment platform 
Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was going to talk about because it has shifted so much to or from this, this one thing that it does, which is put out records and, and then maybe like help promote them to this is now a more, it fits, I think you a little bit better as well, because you're, you're really just trying to get the word out on everything that you can. Right. You're, you're trying to have as big of an impact that, as, on as many people as you can. Yeah, the, the problem with the record label was that it felt closed to, to certain artists. Right. And, and that ended up, I think, being just the, the final reason to, to make the transition. People felt that if they weren't on Alchemical Records, that Alchemical Records would have no interest in sharing the love and promoting them. And so by not representing any artists as a, as a label, which we haven't done in more than two and a half, three years, by making it an open call, if you will, that made it a lot more accessible and, and definitely made me feel more comfortable because I think the original purpose of Alchemical Records is achieved through this as a, as a publication rather than a record label. I dig it. How was that process for you then? Because you're, you're talking about how with, with Yellow Tie Guy, you've, you've grown as an artist, well, as a band, as branding, as, as all that. So any of the skills that you had as far as like websites, social media, uh, you know, getting, getting your word out as far as Yellow Tie Guy, did that translate to getting that more media-based for the alchemical? I, I think it gave me the experience to say that as an artist, these are some of the hurdles that I go through in trying trying to achieve press, like successful press mentions or podcast interviews and things like that. And so I was, from an artist's perspective, able to see the hurdles. But then in having a publication, being able to see how press outlets are hoping to see the information from an artist in order to make it easy for the publication to share it. Which is very, very important because if it's, if it's a jumbled mess, no one wants to see a jumbled mess. If it's, if it's too wordy, they're not going to read it. If it's, if, if it's not doing the, the right hook for an image, that it's not going to work. Right. That's very interesting and very, very important. And, and also just knowing that multiple publications have different lead times, but like where they need information by a certain date, if it's going to be put out by a certain time. Uh, so if you, if you have an album that's releasing in January, you're, you should be promoting it now in, in a lot of circles because you have a writer who needs to start engaging that artist and and begin to craft the narrative, right? Or, or to conduct the interview and then go back and listen or watch the interview and transcribe it and, you know, pick out the key points. Or there's a lot of people that send me things the week of. <laughs> right. I can't do anything. I don't <laughs> right, even right, have right. time to reply to this email because I have an email from an artist that was sent two months ago that I'm just catching up to now and their releases this week. That's just seeing the multiple aspects of the industry, but Alchemical Records always intended on promoting artists, always intended on being a platform for helping artists. Right. Gosh, after 15, 20 years of doing this best, like it's finally becoming the thing I always wanted it to be. <laughs> that's, that's funny. So I've always had ideas of trying to do a better connection network down in Southern Maryland. And it, they've, they've been able to really like, do it naturally, which is nice. 
but I had this whole idea of doing like a, a, a reverb nation for Southern Maryland and doing like a whole website for that. Right. That's so much work. All of that is just so much. So you have to look at it as far as like what's actually like feasible that can be done with the amount of energy that I can spend into it. So for me, like the, I could have done shows again, but I, that would have wore myself thin very quickly. But having this podcast, as much energy as I can put into it is as much energy as I'm going to get out of it. So I like that's kind of like the, the happy medium for me at the moment. So it's cool when you talk about the, the end game of Alchemical always have been that promotion tool. And now we're, we're finally like fully realizing it because we've, we've tried different ways, right? I've tried different ways to maybe connect with people and 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 help out as much as I can. But the the way that the the social media and and the the magazine editorial entertainment kind of promoter side of the the alchemical is is fantastic. And I'm glad that that's realized now. Yeah, and actually beginning to have real conversations. I mean, we some of what I've been doing uh, during quarantine is actually consulting work for artists who are trying to get stuff written for press releases and, and press kits and things like that. Again, mm-hmm. not necessarily something I, I set out to do. It, was, it, it comes from a place of having somebody who likes what they see and expresses an interest in having you do something and you just say yes. And, and so then for me, I, I, I try to look at it as every job that I take, whether it's from a consultant standpoint or an audio video engineer standpoint or, or uh, like any one of my interests that makes money, I, I, the reason why I charge anybody money, because as an artist, I know what it's like to be an artist with a little budget, try to get a bunch of stuff done. Right. So right. all of my arrangements are based around the concept of the reason you have to pay me to do this work for you is because when I'm working for you, I am not making like that's the trade. You're not really paying me right. because I, the human and artist in me would love to just help you, would love to just do this for free. But because I do have responsibilities, <laughs> you know, I, I must, I must partition off my time somewhere and I'm given time to pursue my creative and artistic and my family is okay with that. But if I'm also now doing other things that I, that I should, where I should be spending time on a job, but now I'm doing a, a lot of say copywriting for free for an artist, then, you know, my wife gets bad at me <laughs> and justly so. <laughs> Well, have you thought about yourself as a more of like a, a manager or mentor role? Like, would that be something that you would want to do in the future as far as like actual artist management and then finding those those people, those interns that can copyright? I, I think, uh, honestly, I'd, I'd, I'd rather not do artist management. I think I experienced that through the label which would be like artist management and publishing and uh, distribution. Sure. Um, and, th- and those pieces have changed in the industry over the years where an artist really gets to pick and choose where their distribution is coming from and where their management represent- representation is coming from. They don't have to give away publishing rights if they know they can manage it themselves or have a friend that graduated from Berkeley that can do it for them. You know, like artists today can really piecemeal together the, the, the package that works for them. So I'd say like in a, in a public setting, 
I'm happy to perform the functions that that Alchemical Records is already performing and and growing towards in the consultant sense where people can pay me to kind of get that personal one-on-one aspect. And, and then the mentorship is provided through Capital Groove Collective. I don't have an income that comes from mm-hmm. my endeavors with Capital Groove Collective. We have a, a dues-based membership, cool. uh, designs on a 501c3. We are in a leadership position because we are willing to multitask and because we're willing to give our time to the benefit of the artists that are part of the membership roster. So that's, that's where I have to partition my time. If somebody sends me an email or, or gives me a phone call and has a question, like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to answer it or try to help it. And, and I try to decide, well, this is as far as I'm allowed to do this kind of work for free. You know, you, I can give you 10 or 15 minutes, but if, if you really want to get the answer, you're going to have to go to Google yourself or hire somebody to do it. And if you're going to hire somebody to do it, you called me first, so why not give me a shot? Right. <laughs> I think it's just important, like what we were talking about a little bit earlier, as far as saying no or compromising to a venue, knowing that line of this is how much work I can do for free. Because my family actually relies on the work that I do that pays us. <laughs> so I, need, I do need to prioritize that stuff. And if you have that that open conversation ahead of time, you know that that's a much easier way of saying, "Hey, you know, I this is what I do. This is for my like whole livelihood." So unfortunately, yes, I do charge. I understand, but you could also be charging for the things that you do, right? So let's let's try to get you to that point rather than you saying, "Oh, can can you hook me up?" Right. No, let's try to get you in the same mentality that I have where we're going to get you paid for the music or for whatever art it, artistic endeavor that you're doing. So now you're really getting deeper and deeper into the content that I'm, I'm writing for a forthcoming book. That's great. There's a whole piece where I, I, I'm going to be talking about it. It's not out yet, so nobody can even pre-order it or anything like that. But, <laughs> but it's going to be called uh, Dev, which uh, is uh, Discipline, Enthusiasm, and Vulnerability as being the three keys for okay. success in, uh, I say, the music, parentheses, or any other creative <laughs> industry. But the, the idea is that people are paying a lot for production, not necessarily paying the same kind of money in marketing and promoting themselves. Right. And if you are to look at the fact that if I'm a musician and I hire an engineer to engineer my music in the studio, and I pay that person to engineer my studio, Yes, it, I'm paying for production cost, but that person is also my first like line of advertising, my first line of marketing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Because hopefully I'm working with a producer or an engineer who is enthusiastic about working with me right. and talks about us being in their studio as much as we as a band are talking about being in their studio. That they're as excited to be a part of that production as we are and willing to share that as part of their you know, endeavors in engaging the public through mailing lists and social social media activity. Yeah, because that first impression and that that first voice that starts the the spread, you know, that that's so important. Right. If that's unfortunately either a negative, it's almost as bad as if a negative is almost as bad as if they don't talk to you about you at all. Like if you're just getting a negative word about, man, these guys came in. They paid for the time, but I don't want to be there. 
they don't know what they're doing and I just I I can't be around there. I I don't know if if that's just as bad of just not being talked about at all. I don't know. I I guess I I haven't I'm not sure if anybody's talked bad about me behind my back, so I don't know. Sure, yeah. I've ordered merchandise from a local, I don't know, like a a, lo- a local company that does manufacturing and never had them say anything to anyone. Like there was never there was never an exchange of we just got a new client or we just finished this run of production for this local artist. Because I didn't receive that kind of relationship that I was hoping for, like a like a mutually beneficial paid working relationship between professionals sure. who were excited sure. to engage with each other in the public about uh, you know about that merchandise there was no reason for me when i was looking for my next location to uh like create the same kind of merchandise there was no reason for me not to go to just a website based company right right because you would think that the company that you go to get your products made would be just as excited as you are because the more units sold will pay them. And locally manufactured products are more expensive than going to like a large company that is printing off thousands or hundreds of thousands of products per day. Exactly. Exactly. So you would, you would think that that would be reciprocated because it really is your success is my success. That's right. We, we, we've all like seen the big push about shopping local and supporting local economy and whether it's like a farmer's market or, or like a t-shirt design company, right? Like I'm, I'm interested in engaging with people in all of the ways that I can and, and supporting the community in exactly that way. But the whole community has to be interested in engaging each other that way. I like that. So let's, let's circle back a little bit because I want to talk about how the collective, the Capital Groove Collective came together, or at least that idea. And then I do want to talk a little bit more about your book that you're writing, because I, I think that's actually a really good thing, because it's not just an artistic thing. You can be a full entrepreneur. If you have those three things, you're going to be great. So I, I, like, I like that idea. But yeah, let's, let's circle back a little bit, because we, we were talking about that many managerial role and mentor role. So the capital groove is really that leadership slash mentor part for you. Yeah, that is, that is my mentorship, my mentorship position. It's, uh, I, I think, I think one of the things that drew me to it is the fact that alchemical records as a record label, when it first started out, it it would have been intended that it, that it served the kind of function that capital groove collective is, is serving. And one of the reasons why I think it's so hard is, again, from, from both sides. There, there were people that were signed to the label originally who had an expectation that now that they're working with a label, that the label should take over every aspect of their business. It was not true for me, especially then. And it's ne- never been true in the history of any artist ever. Right. They just thought that everything was out of their hands business-wise or like all their their role at that point would then just to be to play music and write music i th- i think there were a lot of minds like geared towards what they can get out of the label relationship instead of if us all as artists on the label promote the label and each other's community around the label entity that yields the best results for everybody 
yeah, that return on investment where it like what you were just talking about with that that company where that mutually paid relationship if if again, you put the you get what you put out, right? So like what we talked about with even the podcast, I'm getting out as much energy as I put right. in. You know, that's that's how that works. So if if you're going into a business relationship of any kind and or a relationship of any kind and you're expecting to just take from that relationship especially when there's like clear written ground rules i feel like there's that's probably in the contract maybe um that that just doesn't make any sense and that's that a doomed relationship right away yeah and that ends up becoming maybe the downfall of of the label in general because then from a, an artist standpoint artist management standpoint you know you have a all of these different people in one band who all have a different expectation of what the label should be delivering for them. And none of them are communicating how, you know, their actions affect the label itself or the other artists on the label. Right. I certainly don't think I did everything perfectly. And I think that, you know, again, life happens and you have to deal with it when it's in front of you, but I've always communicated what's going on. I mean, at the time that I began Alchemical, I was a single dad paying child support and raising my daughter by myself, having gone as far as like moving back in with my parents to be able to pursue this business, be with my daughter, have some stability, rent out my house that I had owned and didn't want to foreclose on. Right. When, I, when I think about that that's the time that I was in and that there was a, a lot of, I'd say disinterest in my own personal problems from people that were on the label. Like there's no compassion or empathy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and really these are younger people who didn't have the same kinds of commitments that I had, didn't understand. If I have to choose between taking care of my sick daughter or working on your release today, like the daughter wins every time, I don't mean anything by it. I don't care about you less. Sure, it's just yeah. not the same kind of commitment. Um, not the same responsibility. So with Capital Groove Collective, the artists all have the same mentality. There's a, there's a very clear vision by each artist for what they can bring to the table. Our, our founder, Emma G, says we're, we're looking for unicorns and unicorns only. Right. If everybody that's on the roster is a unicorn, then we're magic, baby. <laughs> I, I I very I very very much like that. That's that's great, um, and they're all mythical creatures. Yes, the alchemical. Were you a one man show for alchemical? Yeah, I I've had um I've had some I'd say uh, seasonal employees or part time employees, uh, independent contractors, people that p- picked up pieces. I've had uh, interns, but you know that's all like kind of parceling out work or portioning out work. Mm-hmm. Who's the one that has to pick up the phone and and have somebody mad at them? Yeah, that was me. Just, just me. <laughs> well, what I was thinking is if if you felt like you set yourself up for success in that style of company because you were doing so much by yourself, or if that was something where it you, because you were just supporting so many people it spread thin or maybe this just wasn't compared to what you're doing now, as far as the magazine style promotion style, 
the record label just wasn't what you were super passionate about? I think I've always been enthusiastic to try to move forward on the things that other people are also enthusiastic about. And, and the record label component was just simply what people thought they needed at the time. Okay. But the industry had already started changing the concepts of, say, TuneCore or CD Baby as sure. online okay. aggregators of, of independent music was really just becoming a thing. And so you, f- you figure, I'm trying to start a record label at a time when a record label has never had a harder time justifying why it exists. Sure. And so then having to set really clear expectations of what the label does for an artist and having an artist who is essentially not well-known, not established at all, releasing their first single, releasing their first EP, and they have expectations for what it's supposed to be. There's not one point of failure. There's just so many points of failure or that the industry has changed changes so much inside of one year that by the time I sign an artist and they get to the spot where they're releasing their record, well, they don't really need me anymore. Sure. And, okay. and so I tried to have that mentality from the start of like, I know what I know that there's like a perception of what success is, but we need to identify what the band's definition of success is. And right. we, like, like what is the goal? Are we releasing a record for just to release it, just to like establish some, you know, some credentials or like a resume builder? Are we trying to get a certain number of listeners here or a certain number of followers there? There's an entire team of people that do this for major labels. With having me and an intern, you, you really have to focus on what the artist wants. And again, just with having so many different artists or, or members of a band who have a different idea or expectation of what they want, it's Im- impossible for one person to deliver. And right. then because those artists are, are thinking, well, I'm signed to a label and I don't have to do anything, you know, it's like, no, really what I'm, what I'm trying to do is teach you to manage your own social media because you're going to have a voice with your fans that I couldn't have if I'm just like creating your post for you. And, we, and I am one person. And so if, if a member of the band manages, one member does social media and one person does email and one person is the person who can sign all the paperwork. Yeah, like, yeah. Like that's what I wanted to do is, is show them, hey, this is how a band is supposed to function. I always had the approach of the best thing, best thing that could come out of being a record label would be to have an artist who finds that they no longer need my role in their world. Like right, go get signed right, right. by somebody bigger than me. Go be your own independent artist. You know, we had Spencer Joyce, who's still a really good friend of mine, just just released a new uh, a new Christmas song. He was no longer under contract. Just a real clear conversation. Is this still something you need or want? No, I think I'm good. Great, awesome. So then, school bus driver and musician, and you know, happily married man. Like those are like the three things I yeah. think about. Like he's he's a school bus driver, a happily married man, and a musician. He still releases music. He does it on his own pace at his own time, and he's got a great sense of what he wants out of the time that he spends in you know different social media platforms. He's had like enthusiastic uh, fans and listeners growing out of Twitch performances. That's perfect. That's great. I never wanted to like say, "Oh, Spencer, you have to do this or this or or do that thing," or or you're not a successful artist. 
Yeah. The whole idea is for everybody to find their own comfort levels and happiness. That's why I say, you know, like for me, my income isn't the only income in the family, but I've always been able to move. So if my wife is having difficulties with a job, I can pick up my slack. Sure. My wife yeah. is severely limited by what she can do because of her commitments towards her job. I, I can pick up you know, the family slack instead of the financial slack. So success becomes not being signed. Success is not you know, having a million Spotify listeners. It's, it's really about just finding that perfect balance between you and the people in your life and, and be happy. Yeah. And the pursuit of your passion. Oh, like the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. So I think it, one of the things that you said, and, and one of the things that I think is really important is knowing what, or defining your vision of success, defining what you mean as far as a successful career, successful launch, successful record, whatever, right? Whatever, whatever you want, hard defining it. Because if you have that hard goal, then you can actually achieve it. If you're just trying to be the, the biggest artist in the world or the biggest person that you can possibly be, cool. But let's try to take these steps and set up these little goals to hit the bigger one. Right. Like what you had mentioned earlier about the, the $12 to $15 an hour, that's my goal. So we're going to make it happen. That's my goal. So if you have that tangible part of it, I think that's really important. And defining that will help you cut through. And from what it sounds like too, is that when you are at the, the label, as, as operating as a label, it was way more of an actual mentor role, which then translates to the Capital Groove Collective a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Taking that experience and translating that to how, how Capital Groove is formed and what the requirements are for membership or the kind of artists that we're, we're looking to, to mentor. And, and this, again, because everybody's a unicorn, like the leadership role that we're in, which is uh, Solia, Emma G, and myself, that the reason we're in that role is simply because we're going the extra mile. It's sure. not really because we have a unique knowledge base or even like have significantly more experience. We're not smarter or, or anything. We're just... <laughs> We're just fulfilling the role of leadership because somebody has to say yes and somebody has to make a decision. And that's the only way to drive things forward. And then at some point to kind of whittle down the possible, the, the potential membership roster by simply saying, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we're about. This is what we're going to accomplish. And if these things sound like the right fit for you unicorns, come on board. Because everybody's a mythical, magical creature and can yeah. do whatever the fuck they want to. That's I love right. it. That's, that's fantastic. And we're going to support them. Like We're going to be the ones to, to get everything out there. That's, that's beautiful. I love it. From everything that I've seen to, and you had talked about it a little bit with, with Spencer Joyce, embracing the technology that's around you and, and finding those different ways to connect with your audience or grow your audience. You had talked about it earlier where you really want that authentic real person connection. That's why you really haven't played a show because it's just not really going to to work or like why you haven't done the online stuff. It would be mind-boggling to me as an artist. Stand-up comedians are doing this. Musicians are doing this. To play a show but not hear the audience. 
not get a clap, not get a boo, like not not get any any other kind of feedback. Like that's such a a weird abstract idea of that I I wouldn't know how to do it. But that embrace of technology and the life stuff that you guys have done, the panels that you've done too, I really really like that. Where was the idea of the book that you're writing now? Was that just a, another piece of that that mentorship leadership part that is kind of like an amalgamation of everything that you've done so far? I think it comes from I've always had an interest in business and music side by side, not necessarily always together. And so I I grew up listening to things like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Zig Ziglar, you can get everything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want in life kind of books or self-help or sales, like how to, how to sell vacuum cleaners door to door, you know, uh, <laughs> with this book, I think it's important because just like in writing music, the reason why I'm confident to put out the music that I do is because even though it's very personal from me, I recognize that I'm not the only person that feels the way I, I do when I'm, when I'm working on this song. I recognize that somewhere out there is a listener who's going to connect with it and it's going to be really meaningful and empowering for them. Right. And I think that what we talked about where the concept of your, your choices are to be a starving artist or assigned to a label. And I don't really have a problem with either one. I know great people on both sides. For me, it just becomes a matter of, of a commitment to freedom and creativity and doing it in, in that like nine to five method. Like I work, a I work a job and if I don't go to work, I don't get paid. Yeah. Nobody talks about that stuff, Chris. Nobody, nobody believes that success is the same for everyone. But we, we look at the, the results like the major financial you know, well, wellness or like so-and-so just sold a, you know, Jason Newstead just sold a house for $6.5 million or whatever, you know, like that pop culture media stuff becomes what we're so focused on rather than even the artist's music themselves or the, or the artist themselves. Yeah, because there's a lot of gray in between those two points. Right. Right. We talk about like platinum records and 10 million copies sold. We don't talk about Jim who's been writing jingles for commercials for the past 20 years. Right. Putting two kids through college, just fucking going to town, like working on these different jingles. And that's what hooks you. You wouldn't think about it. It's been Jim this entire time for the past however many commercials that you've heard. It's always been his music in your brain. But we don't talk about that. We only talk about the, the 10 million albums sold rather than this one dude that's just going to work, making music, doing whatever. And it's just because it's on commercials and silly that he doesn't get any like recognition or credit for it. And, and true story, Jim is probably happier. <laughs> right, right. Right. Like Jim is making sixty to eighty thousand dollars a year making music for commercials. Right, right. And both of his girls are going to college. Both of his girls are going to college. He's got a happy marriage. He's do he doesn't even have any interest in doing like a podcast like this because no. he doesn't need to get any bumps like he's not worried about his social media likes right. or the number of comments he receives or whether you know anybody hearts his his instagram <laughs> photo you know like he's just gonna go to work the next morning and keep on making jingle music and everybody's happy but you never hear about this stuff 
Right. You learn about this after being in the industry 10 or 15 years and discovering that most people have a lot of different connections. I, I've been talking a lot with music supervisors recently, and, and there's a very famous music supervisor who has his own radio show who also teaches. Oh, and he's also in a band, right? So now we have four, four things that this music supervisor publicly does that we're aware of that contributes to his wellness, happiness, and financial well-being. But he's not even really pressing any one of these things. Like he's just doing them because these are all facets of himself as an artist. And it lets him be the best self that he can be. And that is, that is success. And that's what the book is supposed to drive home is that mm-hmm. success isn't $20 million a year or $2 million a year or $2,000 a year or $200 a year. It's whatever you need. For me, I was always trying to replicate a, a relatively modest middle-class income. Right. And I always felt like if I could duplicate my own, my own upbringing, then that was victory. And that's been successful. I don't have a desire to, to like really make more than this. But now, I'm, because I've, I've built this to the, like up over time where I have not had health insurance in the past and I have not had money to like invest in stocks or bonds or whatever in the past... And so, so now I get to have a little bit of that time mm-hmm. where, you know, 10% of my day is, is looking and seeing, well, what's the stock market look like and what's the housing market look like? And is there a move I can make? So now that becomes a contribution to my, not necessarily my standing today, but my standing five or 10 years from now. Originally, I only wanted to have musical income sources. And then I realized I was nuts because I was going to I was going to be like kicking a dead horse in that in that aspect. Sure, yeah. The the key is simply to make it happen. Whatever your goal is, to find that balancing act. I used to I wouldn't say like look down on people who had day jobs, but I think a lot of people would be like, "Oh, it's a weekend warrior musician," you know, and like they only play on the weekends and they're never going to they're never going to get famous, right? They're never going to go anywhere because they're just playing the same bar every Friday night. Well, maybe that makes that artist happy. Maybe that musician has a relationship with somebody that works at the bar in, in some sort of familial sense or in just a friendship sense, right? Like, and, and so I get to go play at my buddy's bar every Friday night. I'm right, never interested right. in playing anywhere else. To me, that's what this book is really about, is outlining that, that balance between family success, financial success, personal well-being, self-development, personal growth and improvement. And having a way that makes sense of it all, especially from the, art, the perspective of an artist. And I've always been scared that, to fail because I would just be another starving artist like with my, with my hand out or not mm-hmm. being able to make it. And then you start to realize, well, like people who have great jobs also need help sometimes. Right. <laughs> you know, and so you just, you have, to, you have to be able to look at it from multiple angles. And, and that's, what, that's what Dev the book is is trying to do i like it i like it 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 rings the the themes about that is is almost the exact same theme for the show that i do right trying to find that balancing act between your life your family your career and the pursuit of what you actually want to do and then finding a way to make what you like or do what you like also pay you or whatever your level of success or your um, idea of a return on an investment, right? Because it, it, it can be multiple things. It can be just like what you're saying. Oh, I'm just happy to be out and having a good time. This is how I blow off a little bit of steam 
from the office. Cool, whatever. Like that's if that's all you want, perfect. But I got so many, so much other stuff, so many other goals. That's why I have my hands in so many different pots, right? So out of all the things that you have done or you continue to do, what do you think you're the most passionate about? I think I'm I'm honestly most passionate about transparency. Okay. I I feel like that there's so many areas of this industry that overlap. And I think that entertainment itself has a curtain. It has a veil. There's stuff that goes on behind it that everybody thinks is secretive. But I think a lot of it is really just trying to be like trying to deal honestly with other people. Sure. This is a good example because, because again, I didn't intend for like the nature of my work to take me down this way, but being a consultant for artists who are trying to have marketing plans for a release or trying to have narrative written for their bio and press releases who are obviously doing that because they're interested in receiving promotional press, right? Right. And so I have to be really clear that to hire me as a consultant or to not hire me as a consultant poses no bearing on whether or not you're going to receive coverage from Alchemical Records as a, as a music publishing entity, that the equality is there across the board and it has nothing to do with payola or whether you're advertising or whether you hired me. Or So transparency has been a really big part of it, even in, in the sense of that I'm, I'm very family oriented and I've spent the last two weeks not on social media, right? So my transparency side of that is other priorities, other focus. Like, I'm sorry that there's an expectation that, you know, an artist should put out a post three times a day, but, but transparency wise, I'm busy. <laughs> I like that because the, the transparency needs to be there for, for everything. We talk about that, uh, that dream of being signed and, and that concept of it. But there's also that idea of these major labels being these shady corporations that hide things inside contracts that are too big to read without someone that actually can read legal jargon. I mean, some of that is true, but some of that is also because major labels will experience artists that I also manage where there's an expectation that the label should then take over every aspect of the business. Right. So, so the, you know, the artist wants to sleep in till noon and play guitar and, and have a bunch of beer, but then like, Oh, you know, why aren't we growing as a band? Why aren't we playing all these gigs that you promised me? And it's like, well, cause your head's not in the game. Right. You're not doing the work. You're not putting in the energy. I've made a comparison to the military for a number of years where if if you work for the military for 20 years you know you enlist and you go through the program and you're there for 20 years you retire and for the rest of your life you've got this package right your retirement package from the military based on your rank but the minimum that you can go is is 4 years and after you get out of the military from a 4 year you're usually on a, an emergency reservist concept for like 2 or 3 years where even though now you're just working your data entry mm-hmm. job, uh, like they could call you into service any moment and put you out back on the battlefield. So let's call it six or seven years. Now, most publishing uh, and like record label deals last for about seven years, which is like the, you know, the length of time that they feel that they can take an artist and put them through the work and get a return of their investment. Sure. Okay. 
I think it was uh, 30 Seconds to Mars had put out uh, like the documentary about their relationship with their record label. And it was very negative. I don't know the full story. I, I don't even think we have the full story completely in what we see in the documentary. But I, but I think about the, the notion of as, as an independent artist who might potentially get signed to a major label, if, if I've been signed to a major label for seven years and I don't have my own work to speak of, if I don't have my own network connections to build from, then I'm going to be forced to continue to stay signed to that label to fulfill those aspects of my business for me. Right. But for, for some of us who would be so enthusiastic to get signed, most of us would be enthusiastic to get screwed. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like give me my, give me my $80,000 a year publishing advance. And then at the end of seven years, you know, if the label hasn't made any money and I don't, and I'm not making any money. Right. And I didn't, own those masters, but maybe now I do at the end of the publishing period, or or maybe maybe I'll never see a penny from any of the work that I do right. ever again for those seven years. And and somewhere the record label and the publisher and the and the previous manager that I've worked with now they're making all my money right. But now I'm thirty seconds to Mars, <laughs> right? I've been signed to a major deal. I've traveled the world. I, I've set aside some money to put my kids through college. You know, I haven't bought the latest and greatest 4K TV and the fastest car because I treated that $80,000 like it was annual income. Right. And and I treated my relationships with people like I wanted to continue to make music for the rest of my life. So now I, my my contacts and my money is not dependent on on having that signed deal, but rather by continuing to build upon the relationships and the opportunities that being signed to a major deal afforded me. Yeah. One of the shows that I think that kind of portrays that smaller manager and then also blowing up as an artist and then getting signed is Dave. I don't know if you've seen that, but that's uh, Lil Dicky's uh, TV show on FX. Does a great job showing that whole process and because like his his friend ends up leaving his like hedge fund business whatever that he's a salesperson in, and then manages Dave Lil Dicky, and you see that aspect of it where the the artist shows off that he just wants to drink or get high for twelve hours and then I'll work on something maybe later, and the his friend slash manager is like, no, you need to work on something now. Like treat this like a job. This is your career. This is your like future. What are you doing? Let me I'm trying to help you. I quit my job because I'm here to help you and I believe in you to get me to a financial place too. So it's just interesting. So I, I recommend it if you haven't seen it. And then let me know what your thoughts are. I haven't. I'd love to. Yeah, I'll be happy to check it out. It's hilarious. But I think it also does a good job. And from all intents and purposes, it's his true story. Right. For the most part. So like the the whole way that he came up. So I, I thought that was really cool. So everything that you were talking about just made me think about that show and how they made that a real life thing where stop clowning around. Like you, just because you're you're there to make music doesn't mean that you don't work like an hour a day or you don't post on social media or you don't do any of this other stuff. There's there's surprisingly like very 
hard strategies that you can follow to really like boost your your stuff all the way through. And the one thing that I also liked on there is that his friend, I'm pretty sure, like researched everything as much as he could because he's so brand new to that. So it, to your point earlier, you have Google. It's a tool. Use it. Like find out all this stuff and then go from there. Like empower yourself. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, if I wanted to learn something, we had an, an encyclopedia on the shelf, right, a dictionary, right. <laughs> a thesaurus, you know, an atlas. Yeah. Like just like we had the lot, we had like this little mini library. But if you weren't willing to take the book off the shelf and read it, you were never going to get any of the knowledge that was in those books. And even, even before that, like I spent my whole life going to the library regularly, like once a week. I would ride my bike as a kid and I'd be able to go and I'd, and I'd pick up the things that I was interested in learning about and I'd go and I'd get a book about it. Sure, yeah. Not to be like, you have to finish this book by a certain day and you have to learn this very specific thing. But no, just like, oh, well, here's, uh, here's a book by Malcolm Gladwell. Like, that's super cool. Like, I'll check it out. Or like, here's a, here's a book on architecture. Wow, these are really, really like yeah. creative things. Or, you know, like whatever the interest is, enjoy the experience of educating yourself and all of those things. Again, because this is a relationships business, you're going to talk to that person who's like, oh, I love Malcolm Gladwell or right, oh, right. like I, I studied architecture in college. How did I end up in music? I don't know, but here I am. <laughs> and it, it's it's a, a cool thing. And it, it's a, also the, the flip side of that is just like it's it's disappointing that like our school system doesn't work that way. Because if you look at it like anything that you're interested in, we should be supporting. So if you're making the energy to go look something up on your own time and now you want to pursue it, I should be fully supporting you in every single way, right? Or whoever the system should be supporting you, whatever, right? Like that, because that'll make better workers. So it's the the whole Walden 2 utopia kind of thing. And it's just like it's the way that you're talking about is is just that you're doing it in such a non-traditional way and a non-systemic way because all you're doing is finding things that interest you. And and now I have this huge resource that I can find any answer that I want. And you're telling me that you're not going to use it? Right. You're telling me that you're just here to ask me the same question that I looked up for you? Come on. Exactly. I mean, if it's like if you're just kind of hopping on the the bandwagon for, you know, Zoom calls and broadcasting to live streaming platforms like like Facebook or YouTube, you know, and you want to do that with a Zoom call and you find OBS, but you don't know how OBS works and how to set it up or whatever. Like, like if you're really interested, there's just a website and it's like, set your settings to this. Like, how, how difficult is that? You want to build muscle mass, but you don't want to lift the weights. You can't have both. You just have to decide what you're about. And it is twofold. Like, you, like because music is an interest, I mean... I'm I'm reading books like everything you wanted to learn about the music business, you know, third edition, you know, and I'm 17 years old, right? It's right. Just, well, yeah, like that's some really tough reading, but it just it becomes bits and pieces. You don't unlock all of the secrets to your own success in one sitting through one book or through one interaction. Right. They build upon one another, and so you know something you read two years ago becomes clear because of a conversation you have today. And so then you have those eureka moments. And then and so so we are constantly evolving and growing and changing. And 
it's very different when you're in the slow cooking process than the microwave process, you know? <laughs> very much so. Well, you see on the, some artists fully embrace the, the technology and the resources and having everything at their, their fingertips and you see others don't. Like that's, that's kind of where, where we're at now. And what you were saying too is you weren't afraid to go find the information and then also not afraid to change your mind if new information arises, right? Right. I, I wasn't even afraid to learn all of that stuff and then decide it wasn't for me. That's perfect. That's perfect. I like that. Like, oh, like if I if I connect Zoom and OBS together, I can I can do this. Oh, that's super cool. I don't want to do that. <laughs> but it is now something that you could pass on to someone else if if you desperately need to, or you can be like, oh yeah, OBS has everything you need. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, and that's that's it. You know, the experimentation and the trying new things. Like it's like everything that I talk about that I'm going to do, I'm really going to do it. Maybe I'm naive and I think it's a three-year process and it's really a five-year or a 10-year process, but I'm going to do it. I, you know, like it. Uh, I started writing this book two years ago uh, around this time, two years ago, and, okay. and figured I'd write this book in a month. Like I would take like the month <laughs> of November and I would just like... Doesn't work like that, does it? No, because uh, like I, it took me some time to develop exactly like I want to create a clear narrative, like a, a to to take the reader through a journey, right? And I want to share information with them that's relevant to that narrative, to that journey. But I also know that I want to cover all of these major points, and so I have to weave these things into each other. And it's only through just like five drafts that you start to decide like, okay, like now I'm really starting to put these pieces together. Yeah. 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 That's funny. And now, now you can actually see what you're, you're talking about rather than just conceptualizing it. Yeah. I like that. What do you think is one of the, the biggest things that you've learned about yourself throughout everything that you've done? That's a, a an interesting question. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever kind of taken the time to reflect on is the is the question what have I learned the most about yourself? Yeah. Well, I mean, over time, I'd I'd say I'd say just how stubborn I am. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Some of the hurdles that I've faced, and and certainly some of the hurdles that I've gone through, are, are simply purely from my own stubbornness <laughs> and inability to to like change course or change direction, no matter how bad you know the storm is. You know, it's just like. I said I was going to go sailing today and by God, who cares if it's hurricane weather? Like I'm going sailing today because I said I was going sailing today. That's very interesting because we've talked about up to this point how flexible you are, <laughs> malleable you are to go in in all these different areas. But it almost sounds like if you have this idea, you want to execute it on. You want to execute that idea and you're going to do it, be damned or, or not. I think it's important to know which areas you're willing to willing to be flexible about, yeah. and, and to to have thought about some of those uh, concepts in advance. But like because because I, I'm I'm a visionary or I'm a dreamer. I like to think big. I like to set big goals, but I like to to set attainable goals. And but I think that there's some indication. It's like oh well, you said you were going to write a book. Now it's been two years. That doesn't that doesn't bother me. Oh, you said you were going to put out a show on Amazon and it's been two years. You know what happened to that? Well, it's, it's in development. Mm -hmm. It's like, 
just it just is right maybe i said something in in a moment of enthusiasm or maybe you were there for like the production of something and want to know like why we haven't seen the the final outcome of this yet again it, i think it comes from a place of like the long term vision i still have things to do while these other projects are are being developed and so i'm constantly trying to weigh where my time is spent Honestly, because of the the nature of the industry, like the moment that I think I have all this time to work in one area is when I have to drop everything in there to move over here. Yeah. Because now this piece of something is ready to go. Right. And it has to go now. Right. I think from a public standpoint, public from fans or just public in general, and also from like an artist standpoint or, or other people who are professionals in the industry. You have to you have to imagine that the pursuit of something that's artistic is going to have a, a, a very certain amount of of consistency or like reality, and then also a certain thing where you you have to you have to fluctuate. For example, we we started this the recordings for Yellow Tie Guy that we've been releasing. The intention was to make it a Washington D.C., Maryland, Virginia uh, like version of say the Foo Fighters Sonic Highways, where we would go into different studios and we were going to record with different producers and engineers and have this friend come in and do something and this guest come in and do something. And then COVID. Right. That doesn't really work out now, does it? No. So you can't continue forward with that original idea, but the project still needs to continue. I can't wait you know, another five years to put out a song or, or whatever. Right. So yeah, you can, you can do that same, if that's the same concept that you still want to go with, it can be with a different record too. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be this one because all you're talking about is just the process of getting it done. Well, I've talked about this with the band is, is this becomes part of our story. We don't have to feel bad that a project that we intended to be X turns into Y. Sure. Part of our narrative now for this record is is having started it with that beautiful concept of like a DMV version of Sonic Highways and and it falling flat on its face because of <laughs> the same problems everyone else is facing right now. Right. And and so that's part of our story. That's going to be part of our heritage. You know, we just have to own it that because of the the things happening today, we aren't in multiple studios and we aren't hanging out with all of these people that we wanted to be a part of the record and to help, you know, spread the love about. So we only get to get to a certain point to the record where now it becomes very internal. And now the whole band's transformed in like the sense of like everyone else in the band, uh, which is now uh, Kyle Crosby on keyboards, Jamie Rasmussen on bass and Eric Sanford has has been our drummer and percussionist, mm -hmm. not live <laughs> you know <laughs> at the same time, but it became really interesting because they they live so close to each other, and there's access to a home studio okay and our drummer is our percussionist so so it, rhythmically thinking about this is what a five piece drum set is able to provide us, and these are all of these other percussive elements that I can add. And because Eric is orchestrating both of them, he gets to think about which how how to layer that experience uh, for a listener from both perspectives. Right. And so, so now this becomes 
where the narrative picks up where where because we went through this hurdle you know the band is motivated to continue to develop and to continue to meet and to continue to work on the next track uh Jamie's been kind of spearheading most of our our video efforts and and video editing and and recording efforts music video production and things like that has been his his priority and and he has the time to do that because he's not engaged in a lot of the other activities he's normally engaged in when we're not quarantining at home. So we, we were owning it. This is just the, an, the story of this album and what it was meant to be and why it didn't become this thing, but why it became something else that's also you know, great in its own, in its own way. I like and now it. the album is really split. I think people are going to hear the difference between what, it's, what it was like for us to give up our control uh, by working with other producers and engineers and other studios. I'm actually making the liner notes. I started yesterday and I was like produced by Yellow Tie Guy, like not produced by me and this engineer, but produced by the band represented under Yellow Tie Guy, right. which is a little bit different than, than any other previous recording that we've had. Okay. So it's a very unique animal and, and I'm excited to see where it leads, but I think listeners will pick up on the differences yeah. between, you know, this producer and a yellow tie guy produced track. That's really, really interesting. And it, it's, a, it's a cool thing. I, at, at my work, we talk about investment, personal investment into the company. And it's the same kind of thing that you're talking about, where it's that personal investment into the whole process, the whole creative process. Because now that that ownership is there, and it's like what we were also talking about where some artists really believe that the the label will take care of so much more than what they might but if you have that personal investment and that personal time then it the payoff is even more so to put it in my perspective me learning how to record and do everything that I'm doing right now this is way more rewarding than me going to someone else and paying for the recording session right because then it it I'm it's another skill that I'm learning. So it, it's it's been pretty cool. I re, I really really like it. Um, what do you think keeps you driven the most to continue to pursue your myriad of of passions? The thing that drives me to continue to like pursue like such a variety of of interests. I think we've heard the term Renaissance man and and, and, and not nearly so much like Renaissance woman, but but truly like the concept of being a renaissance man or woman or a renaissance person is gone because simply to exist today you must be a multifaceted person yeah. so now like you, if you want to be successful in life you have to have multiple skills and and knowledge bases that you can contribute to a variety of fields and so I, I think I've always wanted to be a Renaissance man, but then it just became like a part of the nature of my existence that, like I said, when I was younger, I was writing, like reading the kinds of books that I'm hoping to write now, right? Like, they, like I want to put out the kind of book that makes that impact and help somebody else kind of see the world a different way. Um, and I also want my music to do that. And I want, right. you know, I want to have a contribution in film and TV and a contribution in helping grow other artists to become their best selves. Really, I don't think I'll be satisfied until I see these different pieces. I, I check off little boxes. I'm, I'm about 
three months away from having a, a successful licensing of, of a Yellow Tie Guy song in a documentary. That's awesome. And I've never had that win. I've always wanted that win, but I've never had that win. And I've always felt like I was missing the opportunity to help other artists in that direction because I've never had that success. Gotcha. Okay. I understand the steps to get licensed, but if you don't show that you can achieve that, that licensing opportunity, then another artist is going to go, well, why should I listen to you? Right. Because you have no credibility at that point. Yeah, or, or limited. <laughs> right. right <laughs> Severely right. limited credibility. And so I've always wanted to have these wins because I feel like if I can show somebody that this is how I did this, I'm not saying this is the right way for you. I'm just saying here's an example of a, of a win. And then if, if it helps another artist be able to see or, or make a comparison to how somebody else has achieved their win, then they can decide which which path am I going to follow. That's so that's why I think like the licensing concept is there, and why I've been working on developing original media content, and why I have to have these little victories because I need to be able to show somebody else that they can do it too. I need to be able to show somebody else that this is how I did it, and if you do what I did, you'll probably get there eventually too. So that's that's my motivator. My original motivator was my my daughter. Yeah. I wanted her to know that she could grow up in a world where she could do anything she wanted to do, but you have to find a way to monetize it. Sure. You can be a princess if you want to, as long as you can live off of that, if you can sustain that, right? Right. You can be a ballerina. You can <laughs> yeah. you know, be a, a news anchor. A like, unicorn. Can, a unicorn. You can be an author. You could, you know, be in the Olympics. Like, but you have to find a way to make a living. And if, if that balance for my daughter is to be, you know, a ballerina and have a nine to five job, great. If it's just to be a ballerina, great. If it's to be a politician, I'm sorry, but hey, great. You know, uh, we always joke that my oldest is late for city hall. You hope I'm, I'm late for city hall. I'll be right there. Well, I honestly think that's it. Like that's a, I think that's a very good uh, ending point. You know, it, it's cool to, to see everything through here. Um, you have so many different pursuits and so many different ways that you can actually make a living and show that it can be done. And then also the idea of I need to help the next person. Be, that way, their success is my success because my success is their success. It can, it's proven. It, we're all community. We're all together. I think that's a, a beautiful thing. So I, I appreciate it. And I, I really like seeing it. So hopefully um, it continues. Do you have any, um, any big plans for the collective coming up? I have, um, I have been working with, uh, with the members of CGC and with leadership to, to develop a podcast, which would probably be a video, audio, like compatible format, depending on which platform you're, you're finding it on. And we have some pretty big news that surrounds it but i'm not really at liberty to to talk about it cool the we should see we should start to see some episodes uh released in maybe mid to late january that are coming out of capital groove collective that's awesome and that is uh, that is something that we're really excited to be able to talk about just want to make sure that we dot our i's and cross our t's first that's fantastic what do you uh, what do you got going on with the magazine or the records with alchemical records we had 
released a a physically printed magazine for free comic book day in the past and that's something that I I might possibly revisit but I might also just go completely digital this year just because of uh the expense of physically printing as well as kind of the social uh, like physical distancing element of things. Right. One of the things that I'm excited about and excited to share is um, I became aware of a record label out in uh, Burbank, California called Big Stir Records mm-hmm. and uh, had a conversation with uh, ownership, uh, Christina and Rex. They are musicians who started a record label for similar reasons to me, like because they wanted to be able to take their knowledge base and, and have it transition into more artists having successes. Right. And then when we came out with the physical magazine that we did for Free Comic Book Day, one of the things I came across was an issue that they developed of a physically produced magazine that was in a comic book style format. That's awesome. I'm pleased that the conversation I've had with them is one where we're, we're going to try to start creating a little bit of an East Coast, West Coast synergy. Cool. We have similar interests. We have very much the same kind of moral compass guiding our, our visions. I think that the work that they're doing is comparable. And, and so I'd like to be able to make a contribution to try to see how to, to make like a Washington, D.C. and L.A. community where there's a little bit more of a, of a confidence that if somebody from Washington, D.C. wants to go to L.A., they will have you know, some people out there who are welcoming. Just a community of people you've never met before, but as soon as you're there, you feel like you're home. Yeah. Well, that that will definitely help because it's very much still the concept of the Wild West out there where <laughs> you, you make it or you break it. And, sure. and LA is still like the, the last one, which is still crazy because you would think that with everything that's out here that LA is not really like the end goal for everybody. It can be in so many different formats. Like YouTube is such a, a big platform. Like you would think that you could do shows or, or whatever, but all of that takes money and resources and all that good stuff too. Yeah, the problems that one area is facing are the same kinds of problems everywhere else. You know, the benefit that music cities like LA have is is that because they've had a commitment towards you know, like music and entertainment for so long, right? That people who who are coming up in the industry, you know, have ties there, will have relationships there, and want to do something there because. Because the, you know that's kind of where it's happening, and that so on the DC side, that's also what Capital Groove Collective intends. Uh, you know, to create a stronger, uh, like a stronger platform for local artists to be able to to make ties and roots in DC. I think that in in combination, like with the world becoming smaller through these kind of social distancing practices, I, I think that now is a really good time to you know try to create some engagement from both sides and let people feel confident that they can stay wherever they want to live and still make an impact, you know, still have growth, still be an artist releasing excellent material. But why not be on a phone call or a Zoom call, you know, to people in LA trying to, you know, trying to have the same kind of game that you have somewhere else in the in the country or the world. It's uh it's an excellent time to to build those relationships and uh and make waves. That's fantastic. I love it.